Good morning. If you have your Bible handy, you may want to be turning to the 137th Psalm. And there's a good chance that if you have your outline in front of you, you notice that we're going to be talking about Psalm 138. And we're going to cover both of those in just a moment. And there's a good chance there may be in the same opening in your Bible. I have always loved that song. It's just been something that's come to my mind a lot. I think even in the car, uh, driving back and forth between Dunlap and Amnicola Highway many times uh, over the years for about 13 years, uh, twice a day during the week, I thought often uh, as things would make me uh, feel good, as I would think about my life and think about how blessed I am, that's usually the song that comes to my mind. The Lord has been mindful of me. appreciate Don leading that. appreciate Gabe's prayer as always pretty much said the same exact thing. It's easy for us to stand here, to sit here today and say, I'm rich, I'm saved, I'm happy. We may not have everything in the world that we desire, may not have everything that we want, but we are truly blessed and we're thankful to God for the many blessings, including the opportunity to be here this morning. As was said, we are thankful for so many who are here, many who are back with us, some who are away for a time, but able to be here again. Uh, as I mentioned uh, to Brian there, as he was doing announcements, Campbell was feeling a little unwell last night through the night, so uh, Hannah kept the kids home today, uh, which meant that I got to fly solo, which meant that there's nobody in the car to harass me about the sermon length or hearing the Psalms again. And yes, we're covering the Psalms one more Sunday. Uh, I shared with you uh, each Sunday that I've been using this particular book from my library, Hymns of the Heart by Brother Adam Fawn, that covers many different Psalms. We picked just four out for this particular series on Sunday mornings, but I share that with you again as well because uh, several people that have asked me over the last month, what are you preaching on? How are things going? What have you talked about? And I've mentioned using this particular book. Almost all of them have said, I have a copy of that, and it's a great book. So I try to mention from time to time, my library is always uh, open. You're welcome to come into my office as well and see some of the books I have if you'd like to borrow them or, or read them, uh, and then hopefully return them, not forget that uh, where you got it from, but uh, you're always welcome to that. And we appreciate so much the Psalms that have been shared, I even appreciate Carl's uh, leading our thinking and thinking about the Lord's Supper and the death of Christ, quoting from using some of the Psalms, because there are so many that we certainly don't have time to look at. Um, even in the course of just one year, it'd be hard to look at all of them, uh, but we can take uh, solace in just a few and encouraging ourselves with just a couple. This morning, if you have your outline in front of you, we are going to look at the 138th Psalm, but you'll notice on the screen that it says Psalm 137. Well, we can't talk about Psalm 138 unless we do a little background and talk for just a moment about Psalm 137. Psalm 137 is one of the most difficult psalms to figure out. If you open your Bible to it there, you'll notice that in verse number one, there are heart-wrenching words. The psalmist says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We go forward to verse number three, and we see that the psalmist and the people are being mocked for their for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. They're being mocked because of the songs that they sing by their, the people who are holding them captive. And then even in verse number 4, there is a tearful question. If we could be in front of the psalmist who is writing these words, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You can feel the emotion and probably the tears that we would see on the face of the psalmist if we were present right there. And through the rest of the psalm, if you notice as you read or as you look at it, there is a cry for God to exact vengeance 
against those enemies, these enemies that this psalmist is speaking of. And to top it all off, Psalm 137 ends with verse number 9. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. What? Is that really the way that it reads? Would a person be happy because there are children who are being killed, dashed against the rock? How can, how can that be said? Would a person be happy because of that? And of course, we would know that's not the will of God. It would not be God's desire that children would have their lives taken. But yet, this is a way for the psalmist to express God's extreme anger and frustration. The psalmist's extreme anger and frustration. So the 137th psalm is an interesting one to read and consider. And especially as you work through the psalms, then you open and you read Psalm 138. And you notice, first of all, that your, your Bible may tell you that it is a psalm of David. And so we would notice here that the 137th psalm does not necessarily fit chronologically, or maybe the 138th doesn't, I guess I should say. It doesn't necessarily fit chronologically because if it is a psalm of David in Psalm 138, David lived centuries before they were carried away into captivity. So if the 137th psalm seems to be written during a time of captivity, then, then the Psalm 138 was written long before that by David. And so it doesn't fit chronologically. But what we want to notice this morning is that it does seem to fit thematically. Not chronologically, but thematically. Because you would notice in Psalm 137, the people do not want to say anything. They don't want to sing the songs. They don't want to praise God. They don't want to say anything. Part of that because they're being mocked. But certainly they have this cry out, we don't want to do these things. And yet in Psalm 138, the psalm bursts forth with praise. We're going to look at it this morning and we're going to see the psalmist, David, is praising God. So it doesn't fit chronologically, but it does fit thematically. David is not having a perfectly smooth life. In Psalm 138, but he's still praising God. And those things together, those two psalm back to, psalms back to back, would remind us of the words of the wise man in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 7. There is a time to keep silence, and there is a time to speak. There is a time for everything. Yes, even as we read the Psalms. No matter what is going on in life, let us be people who are thankful. Let us be people who are shouting praises to God. I appreciate the songs that have been led out and asked Don to lead How Firm a Foundation, but the same sentiment was there. How firm a foundation we have in the Lord. With all these things that are going on around us, we can still take comfort and peace in Him, and we should be thankful and we should praise Him. And we're going to look at that from the 138th Psalm this morning. We begin, first of all, with verses 1 through 3. And notice that there is praise. There is praise to God. And we're going to look this morning at four different questions from these first three verses that cause us or allow us to think about the praise that should be given to God. Verses 1 through 3, number 1, first of all, we were praising God with what? Notice in verse number one that David says, with my whole heart. The thanks and the praise are connected. If you have an English standard version, I know the English standard for sure, if you have one in front of you this morning, begins, I give you thanks with my whole heart. The New King James says, I will praise you with my whole heart. But the idea of thanks and praise 
are connected. They should be connected in our lives. I will give you thanks and I will praise you. It's a reminder of the words of James in James chapter 1 and verse number 17. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. David says, I will praise you with what? With my whole heart. Never once, we talked about this in the auditorium class here just a few moments ago, that there are biblical themes, there are ideas that God has carried throughout time. The one we touched on this morning was the idea of David and Jonathan and friendship and leaning upon one another. That's not a New Testament thing. That's even an Old Testament thing. That's a biblical thing because God had David and Jonathan who are friends, closer Then family, brothers who can rely upon one another. In the New Testament, time and time again, we are told to rely upon one another. But another one of those biblical themes is the idea that God wants our whole heart. David says, I will praise you, I will give thanks with my whole heart. Not half-hearted. I'll be the first one to admit that yes, some Sundays, some Wednesdays, it's easy to show up here and to be here present in the flesh but not always be worshiping, praising, or studying with our whole heart. But may we learn from David that as we praise God, we are to do it wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. But not just with what. If you have your outline, I think you'll move to the right if you have your bulletin in front of you. But above what? Well, he says there in verse number one, before the gods, I will sing praises to you. Now, maybe this is hinting at a time of foreign influence. We know that the people of God, especially the children of Israel, were always struggling with those who were influencing them. I mean, we don't have time this morning. We could go through every instance where God says, be separate, be separate. Don't marry those people, be separate. And today we talk about being set apart and being the church. There's a reason because there are sometimes influences around us who cause us to do things half-heartedly for God. Maybe this is hinting at a time of foreign influence. Maybe this was written during a time of David's life when he was on the run in a pagan, a pagan land. But it would appear that he is seeing all around him these idols. He was seeing idols, but he was not about to let them stop him from praise. I will praise you with my whole heart above all of these little g-gods, all of these idols. We've talked about this before in previous lessons, but it, it can be a carved image, but it's not typically a carved image for us. It could be little pieces of green paper. It could be our job. It could be our relationships. Yes, our relationships should not come before God. It could be our kids. It could even be our spouse sometimes that we place above God, which would then make an idol. But David says, I will praise you with my whole heart and before the gods, before the idols. We might say even before the world, I will sing praises to you. Well, we notice third of all then, toward what? As we think about this idea of praise. Well, The interesting thing about both of these psalms is we have a few questions that come up this morning for us to consider. We already touched on one there in Psalm 137, maybe a difficult ending. What do we do with that? Well, in Psalm 138, if David wrote this psalm, you will notice in verse number two that he says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name, above all your name. Wait a minute, though. The temple wasn't around yet. 
is that a problem here? Is there something that, that, that is wrong with the Bible? Because if you remember, David, because it, he shed blood, was not allowed to construct the temple. So the temple wasn't going to come along until later. But the point is, as we think about David's words here, his sentiment, what he's saying is that he was turning toward God just as we should. We know in the New Testament, we're told in John 4, 24, that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. We know that there is no particular holy spot, this particular spot of land, this stage, those seats, this building is not holy in and of itself. We don't go to Jerusalem anymore, per se. There's no, no travel there to that particular spot. We don't turn towards the temple, but we turn towards God. When David says that he is turning toward the temple, he is reminding or giving the point that we should always turn towards God. He knows where God is. He thinks about where God is, and that is his heartfelt desire to turn towards God, and it should be ours as well. But then we notice lastly under our first point here, for what? For what? Well, as is typical of the Psalms, David is going to list reason after reason. If you ever have trouble praising God, go read the Psalms. Because not only David, but most of the psalmists will constantly list, even sometimes repeating themselves, reasons why we should praise God. There's two in particular that we would notice here. First of all, there are traits of omnipotence that are mentioned. He says, for your loving kindness and your truth, or for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God's name and word are to be exalted. Again, I didn't ask Don to lead it, but how firm a foundation. We sing in that second verse, I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent, there's our word, hand. We think about the fact that there is nothing more powerful or greater than God. He has so many traits of omnipotence. And the psalmist David lists here just a few for us. His steadfast love, his faithfulness, his name and his word. But we notice as well in this particular section at the end of verse 3 there, verses 2 and 3, his traits of omnibenevolence. Omnibenevolence. He is all loving. Notice that David says there that not only did God answer him, not only in verse 3 does he say, you answered me and strengthened me, but he says he does so in the day he called. In the day he called, God strengthened him and answered him. God will give just what we need when we need it. Unfortunately, that doesn't always agree with what we think we need or when we need it, but he will. He is faithful. He, is, he has stayed steadfast love, and he will answer us and strengthen us in the day we call, just when we need it. So the psalmist here says we should praise him. But secondly, in verses 4 through 6, we think about the power of God. The power of God. You notice beginning in verse number 4 that David says, All of the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. David takes the time here in this psalm to contrast the rulers of this earth with the rule of God. And don't miss the point. David is not speaking as some just Joe Blow from around the corner, some heathen, some normal slave kind of person. David is speaking as a king. He understands. 
He has all the power in the world that he could want in some ways, and yet he is still going to contrast God's power with his power. You see, David knew the difference between his power and God's power. Now here again, as we would notice from this particular psalm, some people might point out a question from verse number 4. They might have a problem as they're looking at it here. All the kings of the earth shall praise you? That doesn't make sense because we know that not every single king, not every single nation has always praised God. So was David wrong because this has never happened? Well, no, but certainly this is the way that it should be. God, or David is pointing out here that this is the desire. And I ask you to consider for just a moment, can you imagine that? Could you imagine if all of the nations and all of the rulers praised the Lord? How great this world could be if we were all doing what God wanted us to do? We know that's not the case. We know it's never happened, but David's not wrong. He is simply stating the desires of God. And notice there in verse 4, When they hear the words of your mouth, yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. You see, if all the kings, all the rulers were to sing his praises, it would be because of, number one, what he is, and number two, what he does. Number one, what he is, is he is greatly glorious and he is high. Verse number six there. Think again about David writing here. Think about all of the pomp and glory that goes along with being a king. I mean, we even do it in our country still today, too, right? With our president and things. No matter who is there, it's an office, and we, we elevate them. You think about kings were sometimes on stages. There were, were steps to get up to the king. There was this pomp and glory that went along with being the one in charge. And we still do that today to some extent. But God is higher than that. God is higher than all of those things. He is greatly glorious and he is high. But if all the kings of the world were to praise him, they would praise him, number one, for who he is, but number two, for what he does. Notice there in verse number six, yet he regards the lowly. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. Think again about kings. I mean, even today, to some extent, in our country and in our world and, and even in this century, but, but go back to kings. What, were, what would kings do? Very often, they would surround themselves with the brightest and the best, right? They would, they would live, they would sit in their throne room, and they would invite only those who were the most elite to their area. You can't be around me unless you meet these certain criteria. Unless you're as good as we think you are or you should be, you're a great person. Then you can be around the king. But is that the way God works? No. He regards the lowly. Notice from Psalm 113, to go backwards just a few, Psalm 113 in verses 5 and 6, the psalmist there says, Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? It's a question. Verses 5 and 6, it's a question. Who is like the Lord? And he answers it in verses 7 and 8. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes with the princes of his people who is like the lord what is it that god does well what he does is he regards the lowly god is better more glorious and more above 
more high than any king, than any earthly ruler. And he does more than them, and that he doesn't just keep the best of the best around him, but he regards the lowly. And he's willing to help those who are in need. You see, we recognize here as David takes the time to contrast the rulers of the earth with the rule of God, that God truly does set up governments. He has set up governments, but he warns over and over that the power is sometimes hard to overcome. And that rulers should continue to be humble and lowly. And we know not only even in our country sometimes today, but throughout time that leaders and kings have struggled with that. And as they gain that power, they no longer call on the name of the Lord and praise him, but that they seek shelter and take comfort in what they have. And just like everyone else before us, it has fallen away at some point, sooner or later. We think about the greatness of God's power, even as David does here. But we notice number three from verse number seven as we get towards the end of this psalm, the idea of preservation. Once again, this is not new to the psalms. This is not something that you, uh, you know, may have never heard of before if you've ever studied the psalms. But again, I said we'd come back to the Lord has been mindful of me. You may know the name L.O. Sanderson. It's written in about 500 songs or so. He wrote about 500 songs, many in our book. If you ever pay attention to the authors, those who write uh, are listed by L.O. Sanderson. And he wrote those words that we just sang. Though I, through the valley of shadow, or mountain or troubled sea, and oft in the darkness have traveled, the Lord has been mindful of me. So many things in life give us pause, they give us struggles, they give us trials, and we get down, and we feel alone, but yet we should still be able to sing, the Lord has been mindful of me. In verse number 7, we see that one of God's greatest gifts is that he preserves us through our struggles and our trials. Does he remove all difficulties? Of course not. Does that give us sorrow and hurt and pain? Absolutely it does. But we might say simply put this morning, God knows and God cares. Sometimes through the midst of the struggle, it's hard to see that. It's hard to see that and we struggle and we question God and we maybe question our faith. But God knows and God cares. God will deliver us, but do you know what that means? God delivering us implies that bad things are going to happen. One of the most beloved verses in all of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm in verse number 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. Why is it beloved? Why is it of comfort to us? Because of the same thing that is mentioned here in the 138th Psalm. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. He preserves us. He delivers us. And the question I think that goes along with this psalm this morning is, do we ever thank him for that? Most often in the midst of the struggles, we shake our fist at him and we question him and we ask questions of him, just like Job did. And we say, who are you? Why are these things happening to me? Where are you, O God? But yet he preserves us. He protects us. He delivers us. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen. But he will deliver us through the evil, through the shadow of death. 
it's hard, but we should thank him for that. And then we see fourth and finally this morning that there is purpose. There is purpose. The English Standard Version again says, particularly in verse number 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The New King James, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. We or people today like the idea of purpose, right? God having purpose. One of the most quoted verses of so many people is Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans for you, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We like the idea of God having purpose for our lives. And that's true in a sense. David is obviously in a time of struggle but still has confidence in God. And notice what he says there in verse number 8, your mercy endures, notice that that little word there, forever. It endures forever. Not just in the struggles, but even in the present time, God's mercy endures forever. And there's one final request that the psalmist makes here that David says, do not forsake the works of your hand. Is how the psalm ends in Psalm 138. And he's not saying this for fear that God will leave him. He says to God, do not forsake the works of your hands. I don't think it is a a cry out, well, God, don't leave me. It's not a questioning, but he seems to be cementing his request. Charles Spurgeon was quoted as saying, Our confidence does not cause us to live without prayer, but encourages us to pray all the more. Our confidence does not cause us to live without prayer, but encourages us to pray all the more. While God's purpose may not always be abundantly clear in our lives, we can know that God has a purpose. And I'll tell you this, it doesn't always mean you're going to get the job you want or that everything's going to work out perfectly. His purpose is that we glorify him with our every being, with all of us. That's his purpose for us. That in the good times and in the bad times, that through our lives... Our purpose is that we glorify him with our whole being. Once again, a biblical message that the psalmist David can declare, but also Jesus can declare. That others can declare, as Jesus would say there in the Sermon on the Mount, that people may see our good works and not give us the bozo button, not put a pin on us, not give us lots of money, but that they may glorify our Father in heaven. That should be our purpose, is to glorify him with our whole being. And what's interesting is this psalm, as we conclude our thoughts here, sort of comes full circle. The psalm kind of comes back around full circle. In verse number 1, he says, I will give thanks with my whole heart. And in verse number 8, he says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. You see, we might notice from this psalm that when we are willing to give God our whole heart, I will give thanks with my whole heart. When we're willing to do that, we will know then his purpose. We can also know that we can live, live that out. That we can live out that full purpose no matter what is going on in our lives. Through the good times and through the bad. Through the times that we're rejoicing and things seem to be going our way. And through the times that we're facing difficult diagnoses. That we're going through death. That we're struggling in life. Through all of that, if we will give our whole heart to him we live that out, then we can know his purpose. And we should realize that every time in our life is a time to shout praise to him. It's hard. Boy, it's hard. 
Through the tears, through the struggles, through the sorrow, it's hard to praise him. But every time in our life is a time to shout praise to him. David knew more than anyone the highs, being on top of the world, slaying the giant quite literally, living as king and ruler above all. And yet he hits his knees in sorrow as he recognizes his sin. Yet he's on the run sometimes in his life and he faces struggles. We should realize that every time in our life is a time to shout praise for him. And we're thankful for the example of David that we can see that even together this morning. As we think about being here together, there is a vast difference between most of us or all of us at where we stand in this life. Some of us are facing trials and struggles right now. Some of us are maybe living a time in our life where we feel like things are going pretty good and they seem to be better. Are you giving thanks to him and praising him? The possibility exists this morning as we are gathered here that there is someone in this audience who is not a Christian, who has never come in contact with the blood of Christ by being baptized. We would be singing this song in just a moment to encourage you. The great physician, we say it a lot, but it's nothing that the preacher does. It's nothing that the elders do, but it's the great physician who shed his blood who made it possible that we can have our sins washed away. And if you're here this morning and you are not a child of God, why not? Maybe you don't know enough. We would gladly study with you even this day or as soon as possible so that nothing happens to you in this life. The Lord doesn't return and you wonder about where your place would be for all of eternity. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, we'll be singing to encourage you that you would be baptized for the remission of your sins and allow the Lord to add you to his church. A good portion of us this morning are children of God. We have been baptized. We're trying to live the faithful life. We're trying to shout praise in each and every situation and each and every day, but it's difficult. This morning, if you're here and you feel you've fallen short of that, we'll be singing to encourage you as well. Maybe it is sin of a public nature. You'd like to come forward and make that known. Maybe it's not, but you would still like to come forward. One of our elders will be here at the front that would be willing to pray with you and for you as we all would so that you can be made whole so that you can have the support of your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're struggling as a child of God, a way has been made as well. We call it God's second law of pardon, that you can repent of your sin, come back to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive. We are thankful for this opportunity that presents itself even now. If you need to make a change, would you come forward as we stand together and as we sing.